Hey everyone, you're listening to the Climbing Advocate Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Horgan. This show brings you advocates from across the country to speak about their experiences and advocacy work that happens beyond the crag. This includes climbing advocates that work on a local scale, policy professionals, athletes, and all others in between that have a deep love for the climbing environment. My aim is to connect more climbers to the work that these advocates do and inspire everyone that no matter how big or small, they have an opportunity to get involved and do their part. This show is brought to you in partnership with Access Fund. For nearly 30 years, Access Fund has been the organization that has kept our beloved climbing resources conserved and cared for. From stewardship to influencing climbing policy and educating current and new climbers on the best responsible behavior, Access Fund is on it. As they say, no crag is too big or too small to not have its interests represented. Support Access Fund by visiting accessfund.org and by supporting your local climbing organization. The show is also supported by Gnarly Nutrition. We want to thank Gnarly Nutrition for being a supporter of Access Fund and the Climbing Advocate Podcast. Gnarly Nutrition and its employees recognize that it is a privilege to visit and recreate in outdoor spaces. They believe that these spaces should be protected and safe for all to recreate in. Gnarly Nutrition. Want more. Do more. Be more. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the latest installment of the Climbing Advocate Podcast, episode number 33, a conversation with Director of Gym Operations at Memphis Rocks, John Hawk. I had John on the show today to talk about his role at Memphis Rocks and the influential work that the gym is bringing to the underserved community of Soulsville in South Memphis, Tennessee. John has over 15 years of experience in the world of climbing gyms, and he brought that experience and passion into making Memphis Rocks what it is today. And quick note, if you have not heard of Memphis Rocks, I'd say press pause real quick here and watch Black Diamond's film entitled Soul Deep, that's S-O-U-L Deep, before listening to the rest of the episode. That'll provide the wonderful backstory of Memphis Rocks and why I was so excited to have John on the show. What we discuss at length in our conversation is how Memphis Rocks is more than just a climbing gym. They are a fixture in the Soulsville community, providing so many programs and services that go well beyond just climbing. And some examples of these programs and services include professional development, where they set up youth and young adults for success learning the skills that are needed in a professional workspace. And also, Soulsville is in a food desert, and access to quality food is challenging. So they have this juice bar at the gym and a community garden where folks can learn the restaurant business, you know, which kind of links back to the professional development programming that I just mentioned, and how to grow their own food. Also, during the height of COVID, they pivoted their services a bit. They were bottling hand sanitizer, putting together care packages with essential items for everyday life. And they're also looking to expand their facility to include a wood shop where folks can learn the woodworking trade and other carpentry skills. I mean, and the list goes on of what this gym has to offer. It's incredible. But at the end of the day, Memphis Rocks is a climbing gym and climbing is the focal point of what they do, but their ability to provide so much more just really shows what climbing can bring to a community. Memphis Rocks is on a mission to be stewards of climbing and of the Soulsville community by providing a safe space for community members to foster new, foster new relationships and provide opportunities to experience this sport. And perhaps most importantly, or most, most notably, is what their fee structure looks like. Their pay-what-you-can fee structure ensures that no one is turned away or denied the chance to walk through their doors and experience this absolute state-of-the-art climbing facility and what they have to offer. I really hope the story of Memphis Rocks has the same impact on you as it did on me. I mean, that that film, Soul Deep, was so impactful for me and maybe reflect on a lot of things. And it also inspired me to want to open my own gym with the same kind of business model in my community. I mean, it was just such a, it's a 15-minute film. It's, it's incredible. Go check it out. I'll link it up in the show notes so you can make it a quick hit before or after the episode here. They truly, uh, Memphis Rocks truly serves as a model for what a climbing gym can be. And I hope to find an excuse to go visit Memphis Rocks sometime to check out this 36,000 square foot facility and meet all the fine folks that are working so hard behind the scenes to make this stuff happen. So please enjoy my conversation with Memphis Rocks' very own John Hawk. 
Well, yeah, uh, I'm glad your summer's going well. You said it's hot in Memphis, uh, as I would imagine, and humid and everything. But uh, are you are you used to that? Are you a born and a raised southeasterner? Uh, yeah, southeasterner. Um, I was born I was born in North Carolina, but grew up in in Norfolk, Virginia. Um, okay, and that's on the on the Chesapeake Bay, so definitely nice. used to humidity. Uh, and I was down, I used to own, uh, I was one of the owners of Gainesville rock gym down in Florida. Um, and, uh, and it was, you know, pretty hot down there. Um, so I've been, I've been used to it. Doesn't mean I like it, but I'm used to it. (laughs) Yeah. I guess it's, I don't know, an excuse to stay inside in the summer and train up if you're into that kind of thing and then get back out in the fall. I mean, can you climb like through the winter? Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's pretty um, awesome. Yeah. In, in some areas it's definitely mm-hmm. possible. Yeah. So, I mean, I understand you're, yeah, you're a pretty seasoned climber. You've been doing it a long time. I heard or saw that you got into managing gyms and such in what, 2004 or so. So I don't know, 15 years, over 15 years. And, um, is, when did uh, climbing become a major part of your life? I ask everyone this question at the beginning. I love to hear everyone's stories as they're usually pretty unique. But uh, yeah, when did climbing come into your life and where have you spent most of your time going climbing? I was 24 years old. Um, I uh, I had never heard or thought or knew anything about climbing. Um, but my uh, I was in a band and, and we broke up and, you know, we were pretty serious about things and it was it was kind of crushing and I, I felt like I like lost everything. Um, and I just one day happened to be playing some ultimate Frisbee with some guys. And, and one of my friends was like, Oh yeah, there's this rock climbing gym. Let's go check it out. Um, and I didn't have anything better to do. So went and checked it out and, uh, man, you know, it was a blast first time. Yeah. And, uh, I went back the next day and got a membership. Um, and then I want to say it was like two weeks later, uh, I quit my job at an architecture firm um, and started managing uh, uh, the rock the rock climbing gym uh, in Virginia wow. Beach. Nice. And uh, yeah, it was just I don't know something just like really grabbed me right away and um, never really never really turned back. And what year was that? Uh, it was two thousand four. That was okay. Sorry, in two thousand four. Okay. Right on. That that's definitely yeah. It's definitely a story I haven't heard before. It's uh, you gotta you got exposed to the sport and jumped into the management side of things like right away. People are just like, oh yeah, I just grabbed me and I started climbing all the time. And I imagine jumping into the management side of things. I mean, were you still getting out climbing a lot, or were you pretty focused? Yeah, back on- then, back then, definitely. Um, <laughs> but you know, it was a different time in two thousand four. You know, like there wasn't the same level of like professionalism that's expected these days. Right. So, you know, I think I was made a manager just because they needed one and I was stoked on climbing and I was like the oldest person there, you know? (laughs) Yeah. But so we, we'd spend a lot of time, um, going to the new river gorge. Nice. Um, and yeah, that was back when, you know, the first boulder guide just came out because we were mostly boulders and, um, and we used to get looked at, and talked about like we were crazy because you know the new river gorge has all these sport climbs and like why are these guys coming out here to boulder and you know it turns out there's a lot of really rad boulders there yeah that's what i hear that's what i hear and and all the the gear climbing too is really good isn't it it is i i, I wouldn't know like I, I i just never really spent much time on rope yeah right on so outside the new river gorge i mean that's that's uh that's, that's a good distance from tennessee right or from like from Memphis, you I mean you're, you're on from the far Memphis, west side of the state? Yeah, it's about uh, nine nine and a half hours. Yeah, that's a good drive. Yeah, where else? Uh, where else for Memphis? Memphis folks, where's like kind of the go to spots? Well, we've got um, there's this one uh, sport climbing area. It's like a super easy uh, easy access. Um, a lot of like really casual climbs. Um, it's called Jamestown. Um, it's only a couple hours away from Memphis. Um, we've got the Holy Boulders, which is in um, southern Illinois. It's about three hours. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're we're really blessed. Uh, I mean, we've got Horse Pens, which is you know like my favorite place on earth, um, which is only four hours away. So we've got some really stellar bouldering there. And then you know everything around Chattanooga is five five and a half hours. So um, 
so really, really like easy to get to uh, weekend trips, you know? Yeah, totally. Yeah, I was gonna ask about Chattanooga. I mean, still, you know, being in the same state, but it's still a pretty decent, yeah, fair, fair drive to the east. Yeah, Tennessee is a lot longer than I think anyone <laughs> realizes until like I didn't even know until I drove here. Yeah. How about the red? Is the red uh, within striking distance? Yeah, I think. Oh gosh, um, I've actually never been to the red. Um, really? I want to okay. say no, because you know, being in Virginia, it was always the new and. Yep. Um, I want to say, I want to say it's maybe eight hours from here. Um, that's my best guess. Yeah. Cool. Right on. Well, yeah, a lot of stuff within striking distance and, um, man, outside of that, uh, you are a, a part of a very amazing indoor facility. And that's why I wanted to have you on today was to talk about Memphis rocks. And I'm sure I'm not the only one here, but Memphis rocks, first came onto my radar after I watched the soul deep film that BD came out with, uh, was that earlier this year? I think that um, was, that was, was uh, that it was last year. Yeah. I think okay. cause we shot it actually like on my birthday last year in August. Nice. So, um, I, yeah, I want to say it came out in October, 2020. Okay. Right on a little older than I thought, but man, like, I, you know, it came out, I watched it and it, it had a profound impact on me. And I've watched it several times since then. And I, I shared it with my wife after the first time I watched it. And I was like, hey, we, we got to watch this together. I mean, she's not a climber. She used to be, but I knew she'd really appreciate the story and just some of the climbing and everything. And she she really enjoyed it as we watched it together. And it made me want to start a gym in my community with the same kind of business model and everything that you all offer uh, at Memphis Rocks that goes beyond just climbing. And I don't want to get into too deep yet because i want you to talk about all of that and not get ahead of ourselves but um yeah so let, let's jump in here i uh i would like to begin if you have it can have it handy would you be able to read us the memphis rocks's mission statement all right so our mission statement memphis rocks brings rehabilitation healing and a renewed sense of hope to challenge communities by providing a climbing facility and programs that foster relationships across cultural, racial, ethnic, and socioeconomic backgrounds. We exclude no one, regardless of ability to pay. It's amazing. We're gonna pick that apart just a little bit here. Um, I'd love to hear about your role with Memphis Rocks a bit. I learned that, you know, like, like I said earlier, that you started managing that gym in 2004. And uh, I, wanted, I wanted to learn some more about how you found yourself you know, moving from gym to gym, I don't know how many gyms are in between that first one in Memphis Rocks now, but how'd you find yourself getting involved with Memphis Rocks and uh, what does your position as the director of gym operations all entail? Yeah. So, I mean, it was a bit of a journey to get here, but I feel like, um, a lot of things in my past, like kind of helped me develop what I needed here. Um, so like I said earlier, you know, I, I like managed, um, uh, Virginia Beach Rock Gym for a little while. And then uh, I left there uh, when I was going to grad school um, and then uh, ended up being one of the owners of Gainesville Rock Gym when I finished my master's degree. And, um, and I was down there for about three years until a sinkhole um, opened up under the building. And uh, long story short, it forced us to shut the doors and insurance wasn't doing anything about it. And kind of lost, you know, I lost everything and ended up back at my parents' house. Gosh, I was 30, 33 years old or something. And um, got a really good opportunity after that to help open a, a gym um, outside of Charlotte called Cliffhangers. And that was, you know, like really beautiful, um, brand new, like big climbing facility, right? Because the other two were, you know, fairly small. And, and it's just really cool going into that, like kind of ground up project, you know, having a background, um, in architecture, um, cause that was like my, my first like career path. But, uh, my, my best friend unexpectedly died in July of 2017. Wow. Sorry to hear that. Uh, it's, you know, it's sad. Um, he was a big influence, uh, on my life. He was uh, he was a climber. Um, he actually had started a, uh, a climbing apparel company called Friction. Um, and uh, I think, you know, quite a few people in the Southeast know about it, but I don't, I don't know if it really uh, caught on nationwide. Like um, but uh, his, his death, like, 
made me like question like well, what am I doing because I've always um, I've always tried to get people um, like into a climbing gym like no matter which one I was working at you know let's say like a, a group called and was like like uh, gosh was it in Gainesville I think it was the police department had this mentor program um, and they didn't have a budget you know they didn't have any money but they wanted to bring their kids climbing and you know like fuck it yeah come in like this is we want your kids in here they need to experience something really cool and th- there's been a lot of situations like that throughout um throughout my career and and I, I don't know i was you know being at the other gym i was just in a place that like i just felt like i needed to do more for for people through climbing one of my one of my good friends uh his name's kurt smith he's uh he's an old stone master and um you know he, he reps a lot of companies and just really good, solid dude. And he was also really close with my friend that died and he visited me and we were talking and, you know, I was just like, I need to find something that like means something. And, um, he ended up out at, uh, he was at a trade show. Um, gosh, I don't remember if that was in Salt Lake or, or where it was. Um, so he was out, he was out doing his thing and he ran into a guy named Zach Rogers, who's the director of administration here. And, um, and Zach was telling Kurt about like, Hey, we want to do this gym, you know, we're under construction and this is what we're about. And Kurt asked him like, well, I mean, you know, who's managing it, who's running it. Cause n- nobody like in the initial phase of the project had ever actually worked in a climbing gym before. And, um, and when Kurt found that out, he's like, well, look, man, I got a guy for you to talk to. And, uh, we, we chatted a couple of days later and then I visited Memphis, uh, like a week or two after that. And then I moved here like two or three weeks after that. So it was like, nice. um, it was just pretty cool how, you know, out of sadness became like service, I guess. So, yeah, so that's, that's how I got here. And then, um, so yeah, I'm the director of operations. Um, and it's hard. Like I hate titles. Um, I mean, we're a nonprofit. So like everybody, and I'd never had nonprofit experience before this, but like, really it comes down to everybody does everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, and I had to think about it cause sometimes when people ask me what, what I do, I, I like, I don't even know. Cause like <laughs> things change all the time. Right. Yeah. Um, so I made a couple notes here so I, I could, you know, kind of touch on some of the bigger ones. Um, yeah. let's see. So, uh, outdoor industry partnerships and fundraising. Um, now that's something I didn't do originally, but, um, you know, we, when it comes to, to fundraising, um, sometimes everybody's got to step up and, and do it, right? Uh, keep the gym out of the red as much as possible. Uh, make sure all programming fits the mission of the organization. Um, a big one is lead by example. Um, create job opportunities, get people stoked on climbing, and identify needs of the community. And, uh, and the last one here is unofficial counselor, which was extremely unexpected. Um, mm-hmm. But... Uh, not just with some of the folks uh, that that come into our facility, but also our, our, our employees. Um, we, we try to keep about 50% of our employees. Um, uh, we hire them from, from this neighborhood or a similar background and neighborhood. And, um, and I just, you know, didn't expect the challenges that we would face. Um, and I don't mean as far as like work ethic, it's more about like the traumas that they've gone through and the way they grew up and then the conversations that they have with you in the office and then how that like affects you too. Right. Like, you know, it just, yeah, uh, it's been interesting, but, uh, we've, we've found some, some ways to like kind of get through it. And we do have a counseling center that, uh, opened up on our campus as well. Now that's, that's really kind of helping take some of that some of that burden so we can really focus on, on our programs and, and our, and our mission. Right. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, good on you for kind of having to fill that counselor role without expecting it. Um, but the neighborhood you're speaking of is Soulsville, which we'll get to here in just a little bit. And you know, the, the stories, I, I can only imagine the stories that you've been told and had to uh, console with these, these, uh, these kids and stuff and uh, young adults and other youth. And yeah, I bet it's some really heavy stuff. So good on you for taking on that role. It's, well, it's, it's, really, it's not just really me too. Of. I mean, yeah, for everybody, sure. everybody here 
has has taken on that like mentor counseling mm-hmm. role right it's right right um, yeah it's been it's been interesting yeah that's what uh that's what memphis rock seems to be all about is uh helping helping out the community and and uh we'll get to that here in just a second yeah just those uh maybe those tough experiences you had in the past with uh with your buddy that passed away and uh a sinkhole under the building that you're like come on like that's that's some random act of god's bad luck there Uh, but this seems to be kind of a couple of blessings in disguise perhaps to propel you into the path that you're on now so with memphis rocks it's a climbing gym but it's so much more but i'm trying to i want to understand kind of like the the origin of this and like the chicken or the egg kind of thing. I mean, did it start off with the idea, okay, we're going to have a, a rock climbing gym and then we're going to add all this stuff onto it, um, which we'll talk about, or did it start off with something else like, oh wait, climbing could actually serve as this like foundation for everything. I mean, is that, am I on the right path there? Is climbing like sitting at the foundation to make everything blossom from? Yeah. Yeah. So, so it started, um, our founder, his name's Tom Shadiak, and he's a, he's a film director, and you know he's had some success in his life. He he already had like a a connection to Memphis because his uh, his dad helped um, helped put together St. Jude Children's Research Hospital and ALSAC, which is the like fundraising arm of the organization. Tom's had family in Memphis for for a while, and um, his his brother actually runs Alsac now, so he was teaching some uh, some film and just life classes at uh, University of Memphis, but also Lemoyne Owen, uh, which is an HBCU uh, right here in Soulsville, right across the street from the gym. And this neighborhood really just kind of it spoke to him. Um, he saw that it was it was underserved and um, and wanted to do something to help. And he had just, uh, I think at that point, had just recently started uh, rock climbing. And so he asked some folks from from this area, like, you know, like, what, what do you guys think about rock climbing? And of course, they're all like, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. <laughs> so right. so he set up two, uh, two trips. One was to Nashville uh, to go to take a group of folks to the uh, Climb Nashville gym. And then another trip out to Boulder where they went uh, outdoor climbing. And um, each trip was a success. Um, everybody that was on it said, yes, this neighborhood could use this. So it was a done deal. Like this big space that we have, it's going to be a climbing gym. It's not going to be another basketball court or anything like that. It's, it's going to be a climbing gym. And, and, you know, the reason for that, it's, it's uh, you know, climbing is just such a great sport and activity and lifestyle, right? Like we, you're overcoming challenges together. Like no matter where you're from, you're both still working on the same boulder problem, right? Yep kind of using it as a, a way to work together, no matter where you're from. Soulsville, it's, a, it's an underserved community. And watching the, uh, the panel that you were on from the Access Funds Inter- uh, Advocacy Conference, uh, annual conference last year, you know, you said something to the effect of like, people don't often think African-Americans like to climb. Like, well, you're wrong, because they do. And uh, Memphis Rocks was put in Soulsville very intentionally and Memphis Rocks is here to break down those barriers that this demographic often sees. And so what better way to do it than to go directly to the source to break down those barriers. So are you able to uh, embellish a little bit more on Soulsville and how this, how, how this gym has brought some community together there and other effects you might've seen on the community since this gym opened? It's it, there, there's definitely been like a, an evolution. So when we first opened the doors, like obviously anybody who knew about rock climbing um, came, right? It, we were the first like climbing gym in this city. So, so day one, we had, we had a bit of a climbing community, not huge, but um, what was really cool is uh, like seeing the folks from South Memphis um, and Soulsville uh, come into the gym as well. And the way the way the interactions were happening like around the boulder because a lot of it uh, um bouldering has like a lot less of a access issue right like you can come into the gym and just grab some shoes and some chalk and and boulder so you know with with folks from this neighborhood that was like kind of what drew them into climbing and and it's also more of a social activity i think it's far more social than than sport climbing um 
and uh and just seeing like you know there's some guy from east memphis driving a tesla climbing with the kid that grew up around the corner and they're like they're talking they're working on a boulder problem together or one person is is giving beta to another on on an easier route or, or whatever and it was just really cool it was really cool to see to see those interactions i mean it was like love right like i mean in no nowhere else in the city would you would you find um these groups of people coming together um mm-hmm. you know uh there there was no reason for climbers in memphis to come to south memphis before the gym was here but then also there was no reason for people from south memphis to go anywhere else in the city that a climbing gym would normally be built in i mean there, there's another one now in memphis but people People from this community are not, they don't feel safe driving out to, let's call it the suburbs, right? So, yeah, so it was just beautiful seeing um, seeing everybody just having fun together. And, you know, we were service-based from the beginning. You know, it was always like pay what you can and um, the meals were the same way in the juice bar. But covid really really uh changed everything like we thought we were we were really like doing some really good stuff with the community but then like the service side of us like really kicked into high gear um Mm -hmm. once we had to shut down for covid and we're like all right we got all this time on our hands what are we gonna do and um so that's when we decided to start uh bottling hand sanitizer and giving it out to the neighborhood we started a like a free bag lunch service um every day i think you know Typically, it was about 150, 200 lunches a day that we were giving out. Wow. Um, we made care packages that had like household essentials that we were giving out. Um, we had a deal with uh, a local produce company that was giving us uh, 20 pound, 20 or 25 pound boxes of fresh produce. Um, we gave out like 4,200 of those. Oh um, and then all of that led to uh, like these aren't sustainable. Um, so what can we do? So we, we created a community closet where, um, a lot of the stuff is donated, but it's, it's toilet paper, laundry detergent and household essentials and clothes. Um, that's like a pay what you can price. It's open every Tuesday. We continued the lunch program, like the free bag lunch program, uh, to this day, we started building a, uh, an educational food garden um on our property so um, we can use the produce in the juice bar to help kind of cut some of those costs on us but also teach people how to grow their own food we uh we started a it's called the period power which is uh we give out free pads and tampons um which is kind of eye-opening when we first started that when i was in a meeting surrounded by a bunch of women educating me on the menstrual cycle and so I had no idea that uh, young young women from underserved communities, uh, you know, once a month they may miss four days of school because um, they can't afford the products. And right. I had no idea. And so, um, so yeah, we started that program, and uh, we've given out thousands of packages of like month long supplies. And yeah, like like I said, like COVID, um, the COVID shutdown really really changed like what we thought we were doing um, and made us a lot more service-based. Um, we've increased like the, uh, the consistency of our drives. So we have uh, toy drives, coat drives, school supplies, toys. And then we also, uh, you know, with all the political turmoil of, of last year, um, we became a voting station. So uh, we had the presidential elections in our gym because there really wasn't a good spot in this for people from this neighborhood to actually go vote because you know a lot of people don't have a car the bus system sucks so we just tried to make voting as easily accessible as possible and uh and that was that was a that was pretty fun actually it was pretty cool wow oh man <laughs> yeah you just listed a whole a whole host of things that really had nothing to do with climbing memphis rocks is a climbing gym right and it's part of one family Memphis, which is more of like the fundraising, marketing, communication side of things. But mm-hmm. still, like, yes, we have this climbing gym, but we are not a climbing gym. You know, it's 
the, the gym serves as the access point to relationships. And then from those relationships, we figure out where we can serve, right? Amazing. Uh, there might be other nonprofit gyms out there, but I, I haven't heard of one, I don't think, outside of you all. And yeah, at first glance, it might sound a little crazy that you're maybe taking a risk or that you guys are a nonprofit and the pay what you can business model. Um, but I also want to mention for folks that haven't seen the film or pictures of Memphis Rocks, I mean, this is a top-notch state-of-the-art facility. I mean, it's huge. It looks so nice. Uh, I think I saw it's 36,000 square feet and you have another 56,000 yeah. square foot building that you could start building in. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I want to find an excuse to come to South Memphis, to Soulsville and, and climb there. I mean, it, it looks I, incredible. I hope you do. <laughs> so can for for those folks that might be curious about how this business model might work, if you want, if you can just put some color to maybe some of those nuts and bolts, we don't have to go super into the weeds, but if you want to, if there's someone that's aspiring out there is aspiring to do the nonprofit business model and the pay what you can fee structure, could you explain how that, how that kind of works for you all? And maybe, maybe some challenges that you've run into. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, the first thing I'll start with is challenges, right? Like climbing gyms cost money to operate, right? And when you have a pay what you can model, you're not bringing in the same revenues as, um, as for-profit models. And then on top of like the pay what you can, we also made sure our prices were accessible no matter what. So, you know, our, our day pass and membership rates are still, you know, half, half that of any gym that would be like our size. Mm -hmm. Um, but pay what you can means a few different things for us. So our memberships, those are not, those are not pay what you can as far as like monetary means. Like those are set prices. However, if you can't afford that price, then you can volunteer, um, in our volunteer program, uh, five hours a month. And that earns you the month membership. Um, and then when it comes to day passes, um, we have suggested rates. And then if you aren't able to pay that rate, then you can pay less, right? Like whatever you can contribute, um, then we, we take. But, you know, if, if somebody doesn't have anything, then we encourage them to sign up for the volunteer program. But we still want them to come in that first time and just see what it's about. And, you know, if they enjoy it, then they're going to they're going to come back and they're going to, they're going to join the volunteer program and, and help serve uh, their community. Yeah. What, what kind of volunteer uh, opportunities do you have? It's uh, it's evolved um, since we first opened, but uh, at this point uh, we have a monthly neighborhood cleanup. We have a monthly uh, garden event Monday through Friday. You can volunteer to help pass out the free lunches uh, you can you can volunteer to come in and and help the route setters wash holds, and then you know once COVID clears up a little bit more, uh, we're we'll go back to allowing volunteer uh, belayers. Oh, cool! <laughs> yeah, so and we do that because it's like that's a really good point of contact for relationships. So even even our employees. Um, uh, outside of COVID times uh, would belay customers. Like we, we don't have auto belays because like we want new people to come in and then our staff or our volunteers like talk, you know, let's talk to people and let's, let's build relationships and yeah. build, build a really cool community. And, you know, auto belays just don't really allow for that. I love it. Uh, so, I mean, I work for a nonprofit as well, so I know how uh, it works kind of operationally, fiscally, um, privately fundraising from from donors or grant writing or from you know state funding how does that break down for you all uh you know kind of back to the folks that might want to be interested in this uh business side of things uh how like how does that break down maybe percentage wise if you have that like between private fundraising grants and all that kind of stuff well it's it's been it's been an interesting uh ride for us because pre-COVID, our gym revenue was a lot higher, right, than, than, than now. However, our fundraising has exponentially increased um, since COVID. So I, I'm, I'll use like kind of percentages from now, but I would say the gym, gym revenue is, gosh, 20%. 
20 to 30% of our overall needs. And the rest is, is through, is through fundraising. I know that might scare some people, but also like you don't, if you want to start something like this, you, you don't have to like build a 36,000 square foot climbing gym either. You can start smaller, right? Uh, we always, always like kind of go big with everything we do. And I think we're starting to learn some lessons and, and kind of pull back a little bit. How about the board? How's the, uh, how's the board structure? How many people do you have on the board and, and uh, what are their kind of walks of life or what kind of experience did you want to make up that uh, board of directors? Well, there, gosh, what do we have? Um, eight or nine folks on the board. Um, it's mostly made up of local, um, either business owners or business managers. And we do have a new addition. Uh, we're, we're happy to have Conrad Anchor on our board now. And he's oh, right on. definitely brought in like a, a good fresh perspective and, and gives me some, uh, some backup on some of like the, you know, the climber talk and mentality. Mm-hmm. Um, which is nice, right? Cause you know, boards tend to be a little bit more, uh, corporate. Um, <laughs> right. so, uh, so that's been really cool to have him on there, but you know, they, they, it's, it's an advisory board, right? So they're there to advise. Um, and you know, we get some, we get some really cool ideas out of them. And, and then we have a, like, you know, we have a fundraising team as well. So, you know, they're actively like, like you said earlier, they're, they're writing grants, they're going after private, uh, private individuals going after, uh, foundations. Um, and then I've kind of like taken on the, the outdoor, um, industry on, uh, on fundraising. And, and they've really, a lot of companies have really like stepped up and started actually giving cash rather than, than gear, which has been like so great. Yeah. Does that, that includes black diamond. Is that right? Uh, yeah, they're, they are definitely one of the contributors. Yeah. Yeah, they just jumped on as a supporter and sponsor of the show. So I want to give them another quick shout out for, yeah, just supporting really amazing work. Yeah, Yeah. we've got a really cool fundraiser with them coming up in December um, called Climb a Mile. And it's going to be like a, I'm not going to give away too many details right now. We'll have it. We'll have it announced. Okay, right on. Sounds good. Um, all right. Well, back to the uh, just some of the other services you offer beyond just the climbing gym. Um, I got it broken down by category a little bit, but professional development. I wanted to dive into that some more. Uh, you have uh, folks coming in learning practical job skills. I mean, I could think that'd be like I don't know interviewing skills, uh, cover letter, resume, that kind of thing. Could you uh, embellish some more on the professional development side? I mean, there's there's a little bit of that. I mean, we've definitely helped quite a few, uh, like teenagers, um, uh, from the neighborhood, like develop a, a resume. Um, but, uh, the main focus right now with professional development is our staff. You know, when, when, when you're hiring folks from an underserved community, they don't have, they don't have the same upbringing and, and, and skills and understanding of what it takes to be successful at a job. So, you know, when you have, excessive tardies or no call, no shows. Um, we're really, we're really breaking, breaking it down like back to basics and then building up. Yes. Um, and that's, uh, that's also accessible to, uh, past employees as well. Um, we want to make sure we're, we're even though like some folks may not work here anymore, we still want to, um, set them up for success elsewhere. Yeah. I heard you mention before, like you want to, train up folks to be like another uh, gym manager you know they don't have to stay at memphis rocks forever but they can go to another gym Um, they can have my job you know (laughs) they can start fundraising (laughs) (laughs) um or restaurant owners because you guys have the juice bar and everything Uh, i provide some uh yeah in restaurant management it's a it's a very tricky business for sure um Mm -hmm. outdoor education and guides i mean the the list kind of goes on as far as professional development and what Memphis Rocks has to offer. Yeah. And so, uh, Black Diamond was instrumental on, uh, getting one of our, uh, coaches and on that, um, that guide grant, I, I wish I remember the name of it, uh, off the top of my head, but I don't, but they were able to get him in that AMGA course, uh, this fall. Mm-hmm. And then also Petzl, we've been in talks with them about, um, getting some of our, uh, some of our folks out for, uh, some of the rope courses so we can, um, get them, jobs like working on towers and antennas and you know making really good money 
So, um, so that's all part of the professional development. We're just not all the way there with, with some of it, you know, it's, we decided to kind of pull back and, and start, start from the beginning again. Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, tell us some more about this juice bar. And, and, um, I mean, the important thing to highlight here is that Soulsville is, is considered a food desert and, and, some folks might might know, some folks might not, not know what food, food desert is, but can you, uh, yeah, talk about the, the food desert status of the neighborhood and how you're able to maybe bridge that gap a little bit? Yeah, the only food within, let's say, I don't know, 10 blocks of the gym, um, 10 to 12 blocks uh, is church's chicken. Um, so a fast food fried chicken place and, um, and a, uh, another fast food chain called Dixie Queen, which is uh, probably worse than McDonald's. Um, there was a grocery store, but it is now closed. So now there's not even a grocery store in, in this area. No um, way. So to get wow. to a grocery store, they, you know, they've got to go, uh, it's probably two miles, two miles to the closest grocery store. Um, and that's, that's a big feat when, when you don't necessarily have, uh, reliable transportation. So we wanted to provide healthy and inexpensive meals to the community. Uh, so our, our juice bar, um, well, we make, uh, we're actually not doing juices, even though it's a juice bar, we just aren't doing juices at the moment. Um, you know, with, with COVID numbers are down, revenue is not the way it was. And we, you know, got to cut, cut some, expenses um but uh we make smoothies and it's all uh fresh fruit we do chicken wraps and chicken sandwiches and salads um uh our founder tom put us onto this really cool baked wing recipe um Mm. that people were really loving uh unfortunately right now the price of chicken wings has tripled so uh we're having to kind of hold off on that and it's all due to the you know the supply chain problems Oh yeah. Um, so, uh, I mean, even the wings, right? Like they're not fried and they actually taste better, uh, baked. So, <laughs> nice. um, and people may say that we're crazy, but, um, uh, shoot us an email. We'll give you the recipe. <laughs> I'll probably follow up for that recipe. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> awesome. Oh man. How about the outdoor program? That was part of the, part of the soul deep film. Uh, y'all kind of went together and went out to horse pens and did some, did some bouldering and stuff. And, uh, you know, you were in the video there coaching a kid through some bouldering and, and whatnot. And man, yeah, I, the film is so quotable. I'm going to pull some quotes from Malik here in a little bit, but, uh, can we talk about the outdoor program? Is that, is it like another yeah. arm you guys are building out? So it's, um, yeah, it's been more of an informal thing at the moment. Um, you know, getting insurance to have like the true, outdoor program has, has been difficult for us. You know, it's, it's been way more casual and, and, you know, the majority of the folks that we've taken out have been employees, you know, and everybody's off work and it's like, Hey man, you want to go climb for the first time? And you know, they come. So, um, but we are, we are, uh, working on a partnership with, um, a couple of folks from the gym who are creating a guide service and that's gonna, that's gonna allow us to, to, to do things properly. Um, and it'll be, a, you know, a, a separate organization. So, um, so we really hope, we really hope that gets going, um, by the end of the year. So it won't be, it won't be like under Memphis rocks per se. It's going to have like a, right. a different yeah. entity. Yeah. So you could have that insurance and all that, all that yeah, stuff. Yeah. They're basically a, a contractor that we're paying a service for. Got it. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So it's all, all coming together and making sense. You know, this is a very unique model. And um, do you see other gyms or indoor facilities trying to follow in your footsteps or trying the same kind of business model or anything along those lines? Well, I, I definitely get um, quite a few emails a week, which will turn into a conversation about somebody wanting to do something similar. Mm-hmm. The, the majority of them are people who don't already have a business. Now, uh, it would be, I, I personally think it would be arrogant if I said, um, yes, I've seen gyms follow in our footsteps. Cause I don't know if that's true, right? Like, yeah, we did this thing, but they may have already had those ideas. Right. And maybe it gave them some confidence to do it. 
But, um, but yeah, I mean, I can definitely give a shout out. Um, and you know, if I'm forgetting anybody apologies, cause I'm, my heads are, you know, my head is just buried in, in this place, but, uh, the new Orleans bouldering lounge, um, you know, on their, on their website, it does say that they, they turn no one away. Um, and then, uh, Tufa's bouldering lounge in Philly have, uh, have created a sliding scale, um, for day passes and I think memberships as well. Um, and you know, there, there's definitely been an increase in like diversity group meetups and things like that in gyms. Um, but, but like I said, I think that, you know, those were, those those were conversations I'm sure people were having and, you know, hopefully we, we helped, uh, create some of that, uh, that momentum to get them to do it. Yeah. But, um, there's definitely other people out there doing, doing what they can. Right. Yeah. I had, uh, Brianna Mazzolini Blanchard on last month. I'm not sure if you're familiar with her. She's from Cincinnati and it's on the board of directors in the Red River Gorge Climbers Coalition. And they're doing a similar kind of thing, but it's just more of a, like a monthly event, um, more so than just like a, like a, a, um, a business model. So it's more uh, just periodical rather than yeah, a standard uh, business structure. So yeah, I know other things are happening. And um, I think the state of inclusion and providing equitable access to to rock climbing is only on on the up yeah oh and i, I did forget um i did forget one gym the nosotros in uh in cleveland mm. um they've been they've been doing some of the same work as well nosotros as in like the spanish word for us or or we or is there a connection I there? Spoke Spanish, I would know, man. Uh, okay, if, yeah, that's <laughs> it's it's one uh, one thing I quit early on in life, which I wish I didn't. You know, it's it's a good skill to have. <laughs> uh, all right, well, let's circle back a little bit to the mission statement. You know, I, I had you read that at the beginning for a reason because I wanted to let folks uh, let that sink in with folks, and um, it's it's so loaded with positivity, and um, one one part that's really stood out to me, just a few words was a a renewed sense of hope. And I got a question for you here that might be a little nebulous, but um, I'm wondering what that might mean to you. And I've also heard you use the term safe space before. And that's something that resonates with me as uh, I use it in the, in one of the ads at the beginning of the show for gnarly nutrition. That's something that they really believe in providing a safe space for everyone to recreate in. So is there, do you have any thoughts on, what renewed sense of hope and safe space might mean to you? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, you could probably ask everybody in this organization and they may have like a different perspective on it, but, but personally, um, this, like this neighborhood and this, this community has been abandoned. Um, and with uh, a little like Memphis history, you know, with, uh, stacks, Stacks across the street is a, a record label and, and recording studio. Um, you know, this area was was popping. Um, it was diverse. It was lively. Like people were making music and and living together, and it was a beautiful scene. And then when uh, when MLK was murdered, all the white people moved out east, and you know what, what they call the white flight. And this this area was neglected, and and folks in this area they they remember that. And so, uh, what, what they're used to, um, I don't know if you've ever heard the term Turkey people. I have Uh, not. So, so Turkey people are the ones that, um, we'll use, you know, the Thanksgiving example. Oh, I want to, I want to help people and and feel better about myself. I'm going to go buy 25 turkeys and go hand them out. And then I'm not going to see these people again until next Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. So that's a turkey person. Um, Got it. And, and so renewing the sense of hope is, is showing that, hey, we're here. We just built this very expensive like climbing gym um, and have all these services. Like we're here to stay. We're not, we're not going to be gone in, in a year. Like we're, we're here to help and we're trying to like renew their sense that like there are people that actually care. Yeah, sorry. I'm just letting that sink in for a sec. That's that's really powerful stuff. How about how about safe space? What does that one mean to you? Gosh, you know, I, I would have had a different opinion um, in the beginning, but as I've learned, safe space means a lot of things. Um, I had no idea of the amount of 
sexual abuse in underserved neighborhoods. This is a place that, that kids can get away from that, right? They can come in here. Kids that like, you know, it's either they can't get into their house, right? So are they going to run the streets with their friends or are they going to come in here? Um, it's, it's, it's a space that anybody can come in and, and have a conversation with somebody, climb with somebody, just, just be without feeling judged. I think it's, yeah, I see it as like a, a, a multi-pronged thing for me. You know, I was reflecting on it myself. And it's, I see it as just like, yeah, it's something that's emotionally safe, physically safe, and mentally safe yeah. for people to go. And knowing that climbing sits at the center of that, you know, it brings yeah. a tear to my eye <laughs> just thinking about it. It's very powerful yeah. stuff. I wish I would have thought about breaking it down into those categories, but that's, you, you, you hit it, you hit it on the head. And now I do need, you know, we don't always get it right. Right. Like we're, oh, we're yeah, still learning sure. too. So sure. I don't want it to sound like it's some like utopian dream. <laughs> well, it's very humble of you. And, and I, I completely understand. I and mean, you know, you, you want to provide the best services possible, but may not always yeah work out perfectly. That's to be expected. What do you think is uh, next for Memphis rocks and what else do you, I mean, you've already accomplished so much, but what else could you hope to accomplish at this place? There's two, there's two things that we really want to get going. Unfortunately, they all cost a lot of money, right? Because um, like I said earlier, um, one, of my, one of my roles, but also just mission of the, of the organization is to create jobs. And the majority of the building that we own next door is unfinished. Mm-hmm. And uh, we want to finish some of those spaces. Uh, one of the spaces we have... Um, We've been basically created a wood shop. So, um, oh, and it was started. Uh, I wanted to ask you about that. Yeah. So it was started by our head setter because we were like, you know, there's just this space and he had a couple of saws and started experimenting and started building some volumes. And then it like, you know, it expanded into cutting boards and coat hangers, like all sorts of, all sorts of things. Right. And now it's like, oh, well, why don't we start teaching people how to do this so they can go out and get a job? But we can't do that in the space, right? It's not, uh, it's, it's not up to par for something like that. So we want to, we want to build that space out, um, you know, get better equipment and be able to like employ like an instructor because, you know, our head route setter doesn't have like necessarily have the time to, uh, do a lot of instruction. Um, you know, and, and some other folks, uh, our programs manager, Daniel, he also builds things in the wood shop for the, for the online store and he doesn't have time. So, uh, I guess all that to say, like, it costs a lot of money, right? It's $150,000 to get all the equipment and the space built out that we need plus, you know, a, a salary to instruct. But that's, that's one of our big focuses right now is, is getting that wood shop up and up and running more efficiently and creating some jobs out of it. And then also the community closet, we would, we would love to expand that into this other space that we have that would actually turn into more of a pay what you can grocery store. But once again, you know, we're talking uh, that, that project would be millions of dollars. Um, but those are our dreams. And then also our founder um, is, wanting to put some sound stages on this property so we can uh, make more uh, films, TV shows all on, on just this campus, which would also be a, a job creator, um, but also a source of revenue um, that could help feed into the, into the nonprofit. So um, we've got big dreams. Um, we just need the money to do it. It's the name of the game. Uh, yep. Yep. Oh, best of luck on that. Um, yeah, you mentioned the music earlier and I, it kind of passed me that, you know, Memphis is such a huge music city and blues jazz and all that. And, um, I think one of your employees was featured in the film of, uh, you know, being a rapper and and an artist and stuff. And yeah, Mm -hmm. it was, it was really cool, really cool connection there. Yeah. Gosh, a lot of our staff are also, also musicians. Yeah, that's awesome. And then, like I was mentioning stacks um, earlier, uh, that you know it's right across the street from us, and there's uh, there's a charter school with a music 
uh, program um, right across the street as well. Um, it's really cool stuff. Yeah, right on. Um, yeah, I, I saw. I was browsing through the uh, the online shop and came across the cutting boards. I'm like those were really impressive looking, very professional. Yeah, they're cool, like, right? Yeah, like how did I was like, what? How did how did cutting boards come into a, an online store of a, of a climbing gym? <laughs> it just happened, man. And you know, we we found that like we we want to create things that um, not just climbers want, right? Like so. Yeah. It, you know, if I wasn't a part of this organization and I knew there was an online store and I had to get my mom a gift, like, what the hell am I going to get my mom? Um, <laughs> but like now I can support something that I love and also give her something really cool. Right. Yeah, of course. Well, John, uh, Memphis rocks is really showing what a gym can be. And this, this was, this was really highlighted for me at the annual conference last year that, just so many great things can come out of the sport to help communities. And I heard so many stories watching all the panels last year of how this, how climbing is helping local communities and, and beyond it's, it was really powerful stuff. And that really brought some attention to it for me that um, this can be expanded into so many different realms. And you guys are sitting, I think right, at the, right at the center of it. And I'm just so proud to, be a, that you guys are a part of this about part of this climbing community and i can't wait to see what you all do next it's, uh it's been a pleasure chatting and learning more about it and um man just just keep on keeping on it's amazing thanks for helping us tell our story man you bet so one more question i ask everyone uh this question at the end of the show what is your definition of advocacy yeah i've been uh i've really been tossing this one around it's a difficult one to answer. Um, so I, I, I wrote down a few things, but I just want to say that I'm still learning. It's more bullet points than, than a definition. I hope that's okay. I started this back in December last year. So I think this would be like the eighth or ninth one that I've gotten. Everyone's just had a different approach, different opinion, different thoughts. So whatever you need to, yeah, whatever you need to say to define it for yourself, like it's fair game. Cool, cool. Show up and give support. Uh, speak with, not for marginalized groups and not becoming that savior. So that's, that's where I'm at because, um, you know, I never like, you know, there's a lot of, of talk about advocacy. Um, but you know, I, I think, um, I've never really thought about it until I saw that question and, uh, and I, I, that's, that's the best answer I can give at the moment because um, I, I've got a lot of learning to do. All right. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. I, I really hope you all enjoy this show as much as I enjoy making it. It's a lot of fun putting this together each month for you all to tune in and listen to. So thanks so much for listening. Before you depart, I want to run a few things by you. I started the show to bolster the efforts that these advocates do year after year, and of course, to support the mission of Access Fund. So I'd like to ask you to either donate or better yet, become a member of Access Fund. Your support and membership goes a long way to help them with their mission of conserving, stewarding, and advocating for climbing. There are varying levels that you can, that you can become a member at, but you can get started for as low as 20 bucks a year, and after that, you can reap all kinds of awesome benefits with first getting a free t-shirt and getting amazing discounts on some of the best climbing products out there. It's all listed on Access Fund's website, accessfund.org. So check it out. If you're a rock climber, please consider becoming a member of Access Fund. Second, if you want to do me a huge solid, please subscribe to the show and leave a glowing review and comment on Apple Podcasts. After that, jump on those social media channels and share it with your friends. It goes a long, long way. And I'd greatly appreciate if you help me out with that one. So thanks again for listening. I really appreciate it. And I'll catch you all next time. <laughs>